Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Stay Focused. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I'm the director of the Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries and the West Virginia Prayer Alliance. And as I always say at the beginning of these, I am so excited about today, but truly I am. Listen, if you have a heart for revival, if you have been contending and praying to see God bring transformation into your city, into your town, into your community and county, you want to watch tonight. You, If you know anyone who has a heart for revival, been contending and praying to see God move in their town, you're going to want to share this. I'm, I'm not just trying to promote my video here because I'm not even actually going to be speaking tonight. I want to play a message by my good friend Doug Abner from Manchester, Kentucky. Absolutely an amazing story of a, the type of story that is written about actually has been. There's a docudrama been made about what God did in Manchester, Kentucky, an Appalachian town and county that experienced community transforming revival. Again, I'm going to talk just a few more seconds so you can get your friends on who need to watch this. Um, just to let you know, uh, I have been uh, uh, re-releasing these videos on YouTube. YouTube. You can just uh, go to YouTube and search Stay Focused with Pastor Jay. All of the Stay Focused episodes are there. You can also go to a podcast. You can go to iTunes um, Podcast. Same thing, search Stay Focused with Pastor Jay. All the episodes are on there. They're, they're usually up within just a few minutes after we finish going live here uh, in, in the evenings. All, all of them there. You can go back and watch and listen to. But listen, my friend uh, Doug Abner, uh, as Doug says, he was an eyewitness. He said, I am an eyewitness to the glory of God. And I want you to listen as he tells a story. He shared this. This is a service from the 2018 Appalachia Prayer Revival Summit that we hosted in Jesse, West Virginia at the Appalachia Prayer Center. Uh, we do have one plan in 2020. Right now, as you know, uh, still things are still uncertain with quarantine and shutdown and shelter of home orders, but we're just taking it uh, one day at a time. Uh, we have not canceled this year's Prayer and Revival Summit at this point, at the point of this, this uh, recording, April 21st. It is still set for July 9th through 12th, 2020. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know about that. You go to apcwv.com for more information about the Prayer and Revival Summit. This We've had it two years. This will be the third year. We have people from all over going to come. But I want you to listen right now as my good friend Doug Abner uh, shares about true. And I mean, when I say revival, I'm not just talking about some people who had a good time in church. And I like having a good time in church. But we're talking about how the Spirit of God hovered over their city and, and began to bring community transformation uh, get your heart open, get your faith um, up, get your hope up, and, and as we hear stories of what God has done, and we pray just like they did in Scripture, we've heard of the stories of the past, we've heard of your fame, and we just ask you, Lord, do it again in our day and in our time. And right now, let's go to the 2018 Appalachia Prayer and Revival Summit, Saturday afternoon session of my good friend, Doug Abner, shares about the glory of God in coming to Manchester, Kentucky. Okay. Well, I tell you folks, I'm a wreck. I want to show a, a, a short clip from the movie Appalachian Dawn about our city. But first, I, I want to say a couple of things. Last night, after Brother Larry... Uh, spoke and and I've known Larry. The Lord put Larry and I together a long time ago, and and uh, uh, I've been having some really really bad back trouble. And uh, I was sitting back there last night. I, I can't really get comfortable in any position. And uh, so Larry comes back. I'm sitting with him, and uh, at some time towards the end of the meeting. I feel a hand on my back, and it felt like a heat pad had touched me, and uh, it just it just felt hot. And I knew it was his hand, but it didn't feel anything really unusual in my back. And I haven't slept for what Linda two months. I have to walk. Uh, one night I <laughs> I went and and slept in my car, and I know that sounds crazy, but there's something about my passenger seat that just 
kept me from hurting. And while I'm trying to go to sleep, I'm thinking, I've got neighbors. If they're, if they're up and, and see me in the car, it'll be all over Manchester that me and Sister Linda's got a marriage problem. <laughs> but last night back at the hotel, I slept without any medication. I slept without uh, any cream. We slept in different beds, which we normally don't do, because Linda felt like that I was just supposed to move around, because the only place I could sleep was on my back in a fetal position. And I tossed and turned not bad. I'm talking about good. I mean, I, I moved in a way that I hadn't moved in, in so long. And didn't get to sleep long, about six hours, because we stayed up talking about the Lord and all of that. But I'm telling you, man, thank you, Larry, for obeying the Lord. Thank you, for uh, uh, Jay, for creating an atmosphere in, in, in a place. I mean, who would ever think that God would show up in a place like Jesse, West Virginia? Amen? I, I want to start by letting you see a clip. And it kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what God uh, did, did in my hometown. And I'm going to tell you a story because we're eyewitnesses of a profound move of God. Not because of us, but almost in spite of us. And I, but let me say this first. I was thinking a while ago that if it was really, if, if somehow tomorrow in America in their churches that people got the revelation that it's all about Jesus. I mean, if it really was, what a change there would be in our nation overnight. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could see that happen? All right, guys, you, you can do the clip. Why did it start here? I've asked myself that many times. Why here? Everything, it was just crashing. You know, you would hear awful stories. I mean, we had no hope. There was nothing we could do. It was at the end. We're living in hell. People got tired of burying the kids. We can't go get those people back. They're gone. It just finally got to a boiling point where people just absolutely said, that's enough. We have got to take our community back. began to pray for a solution, and they started taking action. You can't put it in words, what it was like, just knowing that something's getting ready to happen. What's happening is a story. What's happening has never happened before. We could talk about it for days and days and can't really get really across what else happened here. We're part of something that's bigger than us and that's something that's going to change everything. This could change the whole country.
I need to spend a few minutes and tell you some things and, and so you'll understand more about what, I, what I've got to share later. Clay County, Kentucky, Manchester, about 2,200 people in the town, about 21,000 in the county. It, we're in the heart of the Daniel Boone National Forest. That sounds beautiful and it is, but it uh, was a cover for some incredibly horrible things. History of feuds, poverty, addiction. If you could do it bad, we did it. The History Channel did a, a documentary called The Hundred Years War in Clay County, Kentucky. The 1937 Louisville Courier-Journal newspaper had a picture of downtown Manchester on the front page, and it said, the, sub, the title was, The Most Corrupt Small City in America. And that was the life that we led for over 200 years. And I grew up there. I just, uh, that was my home. And, and it was, everybody knew it was bad, but it was like we put blinders on because we didn't think anything could ever happen. In the late 19, 1999, 2000, Oxycontin, you remember when Oxycontin, uh, it just became a blight, to especially Appalachia. And uh, by 2003, people were dying, and our children began to die. At one point, we were losing one high school student. Now, we're talking about a high school with 1,000 kids, and we were losing one a week to an Oxycontin overdose. And guys, as bad as the drug thing is with addicts, it's a lot worse for the family members. It is because they're not, addic they're not addicted and they're living the reality of this 24-7. And it was just horrible. And then good people were leaving because they didn't want that to happen to their kids. So we were just in such, such a mess. I pastored my church for 25 years. and So I, I love the church. And I'm going to say some maybe some harsh things. Uh, that uh, some people don't understand, but I'm telling you, I'm a church man. I love the church. But for the first time after our kids began to die, the pastors began to come together to pray. And what I loved about it, it was the Baptist and the Methodist and the Presbyterians. And I call them charismaniacs because that's what I am. And the Pentecostals and the non-denominationals. We began to come together on Saturday morning to pray. And it started out with pastors, and then people began to call, and they'd say, we've been praying for several years, and we're, Clay County's a big county with not too many people because the forest is so big. And they'd say, we've been praying for years, and could we come and pray with you? And obviously they could. And on Saturday mornings at 8.30, we began to gather. And, and listen, guys, I, I, I love my hometown. And uh, I, I love the full gospel. I, I love all of that thing that that represents. But on Saturday morning, we would have Presbyterians and Methodists on their knees at the altar crying out to God. And in some ways made us Pentecostals look pretty pathetic. I'm just telling you because they were hurting just like we were hurting. And all of a sudden, in that tragedy, in that lifestyle that we were all a part of, we began to come together. We began to come together and a Southern Baptist pastor, we call him Ken the Baptist, Ken had a dream. And if he was here today, we travel a lot together. If he was here today, he'd say, you know, Southern Baptists are not supposed to dream. That's you Pentecostal guys. And if you think about it, that's kind of what we've done. But God began to use, I mean, he just had everything orchestrated. We didn't know hardly anything. People started calling us and say, how do you train your intercessors? And we said, well, we're not training anybody. We, we, we're not. We, we'd like to know more, but we're just... Listen, we're just trying to, sometimes we felt like we had a tiger by the tail. But we were praying and seeking the Lord. And sometimes the meetings were so intense. And sometimes we'd have a bad week. And I don't know how many of you have seen some of the transformation videos. Of course, Appalachian Dawn's one of them now. But they've got Appalachian 1 and 2, which I've got in the back. And I'm not trying to sell you stuff. I'm just trying to give you something that'll help you. We would pop in one of those short DVDs. And while it was playing, somebody would jump up and say, Lord, if you did that in Guatemala, or if you did that in Kenya, Africa, you can do it in Manchester, Kentucky. And it was, and it was all based on prayer. It's what happens when people begin to pray, and that's my message today. See, desperation leads to desperate prayer, and desperate prayer need, uh, leads to desperate action. 
And sometimes as praying folks, worshipers, we're kind of on everybody else because they're not worshiping like we are. But then sometimes we're sitting around and really not doing anything. And then the folks over here that's the doers, they're looking at the intercessors and saying, all they want to do is pray. But you understand that we all need each other. There's different parts of the body of Christ doing different things. So this is what, what happened is going to be short because I've got other things to say. But on Sunday afternoon, May the 2nd, 2004, in a rainstorm, we woke up that morning and at my church we had the, on the big screen we had the weather map. And it was green from uh, Arkansas and, and uh, out Missouri, all in there, all the way over to the Atlantic Ocean. It just rained in every place, and it was cool for me. And, and we had prayed so hard about uh, everything, and, and uh, I just thought, Lord, nobody's going to show up. I mean, it's raining. But we got to the, to the, uh, the big road. That's, let me tell you this. You all appreciate this. We have one four-lane road that runs through town, and we call that the big road. And we're pretty proud of the big road. And, uh, but we, we got out on the big road, and people began to come. The rain let up a little bit, but it never really stopped raining. And uh, remember what I told you the size of our town was? 63 churches, 63 pastors, and nearly 4,000 people march through our city for the glory of God. Now, why did we do that? Because we were desperate. Do you understand what I'm telling you? It's not because we were brave or we were trying to make a point to anybody or run people out of town. It was because we were desperate for God to do something. We get to the park on the other end of town. 63 pastors are standing up in front of everybody and... and uh, uh, Big, all the people were there. And the pastors began to repent. We read a proclamation. And in that proclamation, we repented as pastors for being more concerned about our denomination, about our buildings, our programs, and all the stuff that we do in church. It's really not worth a whole lot. And as we began to repent, the manifest presence of God came into that, came into that heart. And it wasn't one of those things like us Pentecostals like to sometimes are running and jumping and hooping and hollering. And I love that, okay? I'm, I'm all in on that. But it was like you couldn't breathe. The manifest presence of God was so strong that people didn't know what. I'd been in the presence of the Lord. A lot of our people had never really been in the presence of the Lord. And you really didn't know what to do. And that moment changed us. I think most of us forever that was there. You, there's, you can hardly talk to anybody that was there that day that start talking about it that don't start crying because it impacted us in such a great way. We weren't ready for that. We didn't know what that was all about. One of the things that happened, and I'll talk about in a minute, the fear of the Lord came into our city that day. And it didn't just touch the church, honey. It touched the bad guys. And for the first time, drug dealers... And, and corrupt politicians began to uh, turn uh, names into the FBI so they could cut a deal because they were afraid of God and what he was, was doing. We had a little Methodist pastor, looked like Mr. Rogers. I tell about him on the DVD. All he needed was a sweater and the song. <laughs> so, listen, such a, uh, just such a wonderful, wonderful brother. He talked so low and he was so humble and... And he was always, he just looked really good, little thin guy. He came in one Saturday morning, he looked like he'd been run over by a truck. His shirt was unbuttoned, he was just, his hair was a mess. And he said, I've got to say something. And he said, I've been up all night praying. And God said that this morning we need to pray for God to expose the rest of the darkness in our city and our county. And within 18 months, there'd been over 60 major arrests by the FBI. Corrupt politicians, major drug dealers. It wiped our city and county out because almost everybody was corrupt because the church didn't vote because they took drug money and bought the election. So we, what we do as Christians, we really did the right thing. We just dropped out. We did nothing. We grumbled and complained. That's what we did, Jay. But God came. But I want to tell you something. As bad as the darkness was, as dark as it was, that wasn't our problem. 
The problem was the lack of the light coming from the believers not doing anything. Just sitting back and allowing the enemy to take over our city and our county. And we justified it. Well, there's nothing we can do. My mother said, Doug said, you're a pastor. you got no business coming against drug dealers. We'll have to have a funeral for you. They'll kill you. And Linda would always deal with my mother for it. And, uh, I mean, it, it, listen, it was just amazing what happened. So, let me just share just real quick, and I can't go into any stories, but let, let me tell you this. After the presence of the Lord came, before it was like, have you ever been swimming and you get really, really tired, and you just, it's like you're going no place? That's kind of what it was like in Manchester for the believers. After God showed up, it was like, the best I can describe it, is like floating, putting your hands behind your head and going downstream and just enjoying yourself. Because why? Because God changed the atmosphere that day in our city. The day after the march, we went to see every public official. We divided up as three and four as pastors. And here's what we did. We didn't understand the impact of this. We were just following the Holy Spirit. And the Lord told us to go ask them to forgive us. And I'm thinking, that don't make a whole lot of sense. But we asked them to forgive us for grumbling and complaining and not being a help to the sheriff or to the whoever that we went to see. And you have to understand, they were all corrupt. We found out later some of those guys got saved because they said they couldn't believe that the church would ask them for forgiveness. Listen, when you hear from God, guys, it's just sometimes it don't make any sense. But it needs to be done, whatever he tells you to do. Amen? So, obviously lots of people went to prison. Our schools began to improve. We, they began to honor the Lord. Now, you know about the see you around the pole? They did that at Clay County High School every day. All the elementary schools, the middle school, the high school, had praise and worship for 15 or 20 minutes every, every school day morning, and somebody, a student, would pray. They begin to teach the Bible in the public schools, and it's called it's it's available today. And the reason a lot of communities don't do it, they're more afraid of the ACLU than they are about uh, what the Lord wants to happen. It's called the Bible and its effect on the culture. Perfectly legal. We started doing that. And there were some many kids signed up to do that. That they had to promise them before they graduated they would get them in a class, but they could not accommodate the kids that wanted to take that class. It's amazing. In 2006, we had an election. And we really prayed about our election. At my church, all the pastors wanted to have this thing uh, called to promote the vote. At my church, I found out later, they, they told some people they thought maybe a fight would break out or they'd bum the building. They'd rather it be my church than theirs. But listen, we had 3,000 people more people voted in that election than had ever voted before. And everybody elected was a believer in Christ. We went from nobody being a believer to everybody was a believer. Now, guys, what I'm talking about, what happens is when you pray and hear from God and you begin to act on what He's saying. This is all about the Lord. This is not about personalities. This is, we didn't know. We really didn't know anything. We really didn't. So... The election, the first order of business. Well, we had a 35-year-old woman that had just gotten saved. She defeated a guy that had been the mayor for over 30 years. It was a pedophile. And he drove a church bus. And we weren't happy about Carmen running because we didn't think she could possibly win. She won by 135 votes. And that was in November of 2006. In January of 2007, when they swore her in, she read a proclamation from the city council that Manchester would no longer be just Manchester. It would be Manchester City of Hope. And that's the name of our town. And she also said, we're going to begin starting next Monday morning, said we will be praying at City Hall every Monday morning, said, I'll have all the employees of the city there and you pastors need to bring the church in. The county, not to be outdone, the county judge executive, which actually, I don't know why they call him a judge, he actually runs the, the county. 
he, to keep from being out doing, he started having a Thursday noon prayer meeting. The school system began to have a prayer meeting at, at uh, the Board of Education. And then for years and years, right before school started, they would invite the pastors and anybody that wanted to come to come and walk around the churches. A custodian would let us walk around the schools. The custodian would let us in. And what he wanted to have happen is us take anointing oil and anoint every locker and every seat and the gymnasium and the auditorium and the band room and all of that and the teacher's desk and ask God to come that school year. And let me say one more thing about the school. Our high school graduations wound up being, now remember these are, these are public schools, okay, not private schools. At the high school graduations, the salutatorian and the, uh, the, the valedictorian uh, basically gave their testimonies and the band and the choir did praise and worship music, Jay. And one year, the student body president got kind of fired up, and he gave an invitation, and some parents got saved at the graduation. And what I'm talking about is God coming to a place when you invite him. Our economy, we were the fifth poorest county in America. Now, we're still a really poor county, as much of Appalachia. But God did some things and things were better and people began to move back home and all of a sudden people that had lived in Ohio and Michigan and Indiana for years working would retire and then they would come and downsize and build little A-frame houses and stuff back in Manchester and let me tell you this that's getting ready it's happening a little bit now as time gets worse and worse in the coming days we're going to see a flood of those people coming back to the Appalachian Mountains I write it down. It's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. We needed rehab. We had just, I can't tell you how many drug addicts we had. They called our church the rehab church because we, we didn't know much what to do with them, but we loved them and, and, and we welcomed them. And let me tell you, don't be telling drug addicts what they need to do. and They need to know how much you care about them before you do any ministering to them. So we needed rehab. So we had a brilliant idea. We were raising $50,000 and we were buying FEMA trailers. And we were going to, I think, put duct tape around. I don't know what we were going to do. We hadn't got that far. <laughs> and our congressman, Hal Rogers, in the 5th Congressional District began to really fight the drug issue. And he asked the churches for help. And people said, oh, Doug, you can't work with the government. We call it the dream team because they embraced us and we embraced them. And the congressman's office called one day, and this is my life story before I get into what I've really come to tell you. Got a call from the congressman's office one day and it said the congressman wants to come to Manchester and meet with some of the key people that's been a part of this movement and uh, partner up and see what else we can do. And the night before he came, and that's a pretty big deal in a little town for the congressman that's been in office for 30 something years. The night before he came, I was praying. The Lord said, do not ask him for anything. And I almost did one of those get thee behind me, Satan's. And I called Ken the Baptist. And I said, Ken, I believe the Lord said this. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we're not asking for nothing. The congressman comes and we have, a two, we have lunch. We have a great meeting. And he's talking about all the issues that are going on. And he thanked us for being... They thought that Clay County would be the problem county in the 30 counties of eastern Kentucky. But in fact, because God showed up, we were the leaders. Go figure. And uh, so we talked about that. And then towards the end, he said, Now, what can I do for you guys to help you? And I said, Congressman, listen, we really appreciate the fact that you're working with us, that you've given the church a chance to show what we can do. And we, we're not asking for anything. We're just very happy to be able to serve with you and do what your people are trying to do to help us. And he said, are you sure? And we said, yeah. So they leave. Uh, two hours later, his chief of staff called, and he said, Doug, the congressman said that's the most, uh, uh, that's the best meeting he's ever been in in 30-something years in Washington. Now he's got the same question, what do you want? 
And I said, uh, Bob, we've got the same answer. We don't want anything. A couple of months go by. And remember, we're trying to raise $50,000. His chief of staff from uh, Washington called, and he said, uh, he said uh, we're building two rehabilitation centers in eastern Kentucky. One's going to be in Pikeville. And he was honest. He said, and they're Democratic, and we're hoping to get some Republican votes out of that. He said, but you guys get the other one. And I said, uh, uh, I said, Will, I said, that's great, but I said, we, we don't think any of that works, the stuff from the government. And I said, we've got our heart set on Christ-centered yeah. recovery. And he said, Doug, I think that's going to be a problem. I said, Will, I understand that, but thank the congressman. Thank him just for thinking about us. Listen, another month goes by, Will calls. He said, Doug, are you sitting down? And I said, no. And he said, well, you might ought to sit down on this one. He said, you got it. And I said, what did I get? He said, let me read uh, from the charter of the Department of Health and Human Services. He said, you've been granted $1.5 million for a Christ-centered uh, rehab center. Now, listen, I, I want you to keep in mind we didn't beg the congressman for anything. The Lord told us not to ask for anything because he wanted us to understand that we were to trust him, not man. And listen, at the groundbreaking, and in the meantime, a businessman that his son died from an overdose, he gave us 80 acres of land on top of a mountain to build it. And it's called Chad's Hope, and it's one of the most effective residential centers in all of America. And, uh, I mean, it's just an amazing place. And it's, uh, uh, people come from all over the country. They stay nine to 12 months. And then the Clay County people embrace them, and most of them stay, because it's real hard for a drug addict to go back home. It's just hard. So at the groundbreaking, there's a man comes from the Department of Justice. Now, I want you, I want you to think about this. He looks a really nice man. He looks around the the hills, and he said, I guess I'm far enough from Washington to tell you this, that no real rehabilitation other than Christ-centered really works anywhere in America. And I'm thinking, you guys are spending billions of dollars doing stuff you don't even think works. And could you trust the church? Could you just give us a chance? So we build, and at, and at that meeting, the state of Kentucky, the president of the Kentucky State Senate is from Manchester, and he had really fought us hard because he was a high-powered lawyer, and he defended a lot of drug dealers. But he shows up with one of those big checks, you know, about this tall and that wide, for $750,000 from the state of Kentucky. So we wind up building a $2.5 million facility. We tried to run it ourselves for a year, and it just killed us 24-7, not really knowing what you're doing. So we were already working with Teen Challenge, doing some outpatient stuff, and we asked them if they would like to take it over, and we gave them a three-year lease, and after three years, we gave them a 99-year lease to do whatever they wanted to do. And they call it the Taj Mahal, because it's about a $3 million property that nobody asked for. It's incredible that God is doing amazing things in that center. And they're not using drugs to treat a drug because you really can't, let me just tell you, you really can't do that. Didn't work very well. So anyway, we didn't ask for anything at any time. All of a sudden one day, well, let me tell you this. The forest came alive. And the bear, the black bear started coming in to our part of the country. It's in Harlan County, the bears were, but they came to Manchester. Lots of them. Deer, turkey. Uh, uh, we used to catch fish in the 60s. Uh, we called them, uh, I can't remember what we called them, but they were really muskies. And they would be like yay long. And I've heard people tell about they had to beat them in the head or shoot them to get them in the boat because you couldn't bring them in. But nobody had seen one since the 60s. All of a sudden, they show up in the streams in the city limits of Manchester. Wow. You couldn't drink our municipal water. It had just its funky taste, and everybody that could afford it put a filter on. In 2008, uh, the Tourism Committee in Manchester uh, uh, 
entered our water into the best tasting municipal water in the state of Kentucky, and lo and behold, we won first place. And we won second and third place in 2009, 2010, and we think some of those city slickers uh, cheated us some way to get that. But God came. God came to our city. And, and as a result of praying, as a result of just believing God the best we knew how to believe God. So I want you to know that it's a, how we go places and I'll say, how many of you believe God could show up next week at your church and 50 people get saved and some people, demons get cast out and all of that and everybody raise their hand. I said, how many of you believe that God could come to your city in such a way that everything changes almost overnight and two or three people will raise their hands. See, part of our problem is unbelief. Not really believing what God really can do. So let me, here, here's what I'm really here to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about why God came to Manchester, and this is important for you guys. I don't expect you to go home and do everything we did, because if you know anything even about Brownsville, people would, we did this, go to Brownsville, come back, try to do the same thing, six months later you're worn out and nothing's working because that was great for there and it touched the world but it wasn't for everybody to do it that way so we have people call from california and say we'll fly you and sister linda out if you'll help us have a march i said what do you want to have a march for because you all did and god came i said no you don't understand we had a march because god told us to have one because we needed to come out from outside the walls of our church and be visible in our community so here, here's the things, the reason God came. Desperation, which created a hunger. I asked George Otis one time, he's been to almost 200 countries. He's the transformation guy, the expert. I said, George, can he come any other way other than desperation? He said, oh yeah, he can come by inspiration. I said, have you ever seen it? He said, not seen it yet, but I believe it's possible. So we have to be desperate about something. And there's a lot to be desperate about, amen? Remember, desperation leads to desperate prayer, and desperate prayer leads to desperate action. And we humbled ourselves. That wasn't very hard to do, simply because everything we tried just was a complete failure. So we humbled ourselves, and we repented. I mean, we really repented from the heart. If you could be around, you know, let's just be honest. I don't know how many pastors are in the house, but... We're kind of a prideful lot in a lot of ways. Maybe we don't mean to be, and I don't know, but it's really difficult for a pastor to repent publicly. Now, it won't be here, Jay, but in most places. You know what I'm saying? It's just difficult to do that. But we humbled ourselves and we repented. And then we invited the Holy Spirit to come and say, well, that should have been done the first thing. But listen... You can't believe how many people never think about doing anything like that. See, you can't make the Holy Spirit come to your town, but you can do some things to attract His presence. Intercessory prayer. Standing in the gap. That Saturday morning prayer group, guys, was it was life to us. You couldn't wait to get there. And you can't say on the video, everybody laughs about it, but you catch yourself hugging a Presbyterian or a Methodist. And people started loving each other and working together. And we entered into an agreement that we weren't going to, there were some issues we needed to talk about about our city and county, but we promised each other that we would not go outside our church walls and talk about in a negative way our city any longer. That we would lift each other up, that we would... Uh, do what we needed to do, that we would encourage folks. And then there's this thing about biblical unity. And let me tell you something, unity is not, sometimes in our cities we'll have a Thanksgiving dinner or something and a short service. We think, well, we're all in unity. That's not unity. That's not biblical unity. Let me tell you when biblical unity comes. When you begin to work together. You begin to pray together. And that creates trust. Linda worked with pastor's wives, and God knows, if you know anything about pastor's wives, they have a difficult time in most places. 
And Linda just started loving on pastor's wife. So they had a brilliant idea to uh, about every month or two that we'd all get together, go to the park and eat or wherever, and we would play. Listen, we barely did say a prayer, and I know that sounds sacrilegious, but we played hillbilly golf. We wrestled each other. And we had an old pastor that said, the Bible says, wrestle not. <laughs> but we wrestled and we played games and we shot basketball. And of course, the young, the young guns beat the crap out of us every time we played. And us old guys would say, listen, the reason you win, you're not praying enough. You're not praying. We spend most of our time on our knees in prayer. You guys are just wanting to play ball. And it just became this thing that we started loving each other. And all of a sudden, when a pastor would have trouble, or his family would fall into some kind of sin or something. Instead of criticizing and talking about it, we began to cover each other in prayer and embrace one another. And guys, listen, when that begins to happen, there's a dynamic that takes place that's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And then the fear of the Lord. Let me give you a definition from Dick Iverson. Dick says that to fear the Lord is the awesome reverence and respect for God, knowing he is righteous and full of grace and mercy, rewarding the obedient and judging the disobedient. That's a pretty good definition. In the hills, sometimes when you talk about the fear of the Lord, they think you're supposed to be scared to death of God. And obviously that's not what it's all about. But it's like we, we caught ourselves being very, very careful what we said or what we did because we didn't want to do anything that would create anything between us and the Lord that wasn't Him. God had showed up in Manchester, Linda's cooking supper one night. And I said, Lord, why? why I appreciate you coming, but why would you come to a little place like Manchester that's never acknowledged you in any way? And listen to what he said to me. He said, I want the world to see. He didn't say Eastern Kentucky or Appalachia or the United States. He said, I want the world to see what can happen when people that have no resources, no other way of getting help, will just give themselves totally to me. And that they can, that they can see what I will do for them. That's why it came, not because we had any answers, not because we... Uh, you know, we'd all been to seminary and got our, all the things that you get. And because we had money, we didn't have any money at all. We needed to raise a little money, and we didn't have... A, that's back before you could make your own letterhead and stuff, you know, with a computer. And I still can't do that, Jay, but uh, a lot of people can. So we wrote a letter. Ken Bowler, Ken the Baptist and I wrote a letter on Manchester Baptist Church Stationery, put it in a... In a uh, uh, Community church envelope, that was my church, and signed it, Ken and Doug. And remember how poor we are, and in two weeks we got $17,000 in the mail from churches all over our county. Why? Because we began to come together and began to trust each other, and people began to get hold of that vision of what was possible if we worked together. Amazing. Now let me, let me just, this is going to be just... Here and there now, okay? If you're looking for three points in a poem, you can forget it or go to the bathroom because it ain't going to happen. First Samuel 22, 1 and 2. Probably my, 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 uh, the scripture I love best in the Old Testament, and you'll understand why. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with them. They had to be, that's where hillbillies come from, I think in Ridge Runners, like West Virginians, is from this lot of folks right here. Do you understand who they were? They were in distress, they were, they were in debt, uh, they were discontented, uh, uh, they, they were messed up people. But they come to follow David. And later you can read in Scripture what mighty exploits these men did. They didn't go to Bible college. I'm not against Bible college, but they didn't go to Bible college. And they didn't have all the things that we have access to today. 
but they just trusted David. They followed him, and they got in that cave. And you know what? I don't know why I didn't know this till the other day. You know what Adalim means? Anybody know? It's a place of refuge. And God's raising up places of refuge in these last days. The Lord gave me a term. Some of you might have heard it. I'm not saying I came up with it. I, as far as I know, I did, but I could have heard it someplace and don't remember it. Discontent, the Lord said, is holy dissatisfaction for us. Now, what's that mean? I've never seen, we travel all over the country. I've never seen so many people discontent about being in church. My friend Ray Hughes, some of you know Ray, he said, if it ain't working, it ain't working. You know, Ray's brilliant like that. <laughs> and here's what I believe. That if what we're doing in here, and I'm not talking to you folks, I'm talking about, I mean, obviously there's something different going on here. But whatever we're doing in our churches, if it's not blessing or helping out there, yeah. we need to really think, rethink what we're doing in here, yeah. in our churches. Because what, what are we here for? To be a filling station for the body of Christ, a, a house of prayer, whatever. But we're to take this to a, to a dying world. So we're experiencing holy dissatisfaction. The Lord is allowing folks to be dissatisfied. Remember, if you're lukewarm, what he's going to do? See, if you're lukewarm, you're just not going to, you know you need to do something, but you just don't do it. I've got a friend named Stephen Burke from Temple, Texas, his ministry the Lord will provide. Stephen says he works with churches that are, uh, that are remnant churches, and he, he works with places that are... Uh, uh, refuge places and he's doing that all over the country in South America he says this Jay I think this is interesting for you he said you can't really be a city of refuge until you have a strong house of prayer and see God let me just tell you brother I mean you're not brain dead or nothing you're fairly smart I'm pretty sure <laughs> you know what God's doing with you but this is a model of what he intends to do, not only in Appalachia, but around the earth, around our nation. And let me tell you something else. Don't be too quick to leave this part of the country, even though it's, it's difficult to sometimes make a living here. But this is going to be one of the greatest places when the hard times really hit. This is going to be, here's, I got a buddy that said, well, one thing about it, said they'll kill everybody else all over America before they'll think to come to Appalachia. But God is doing something special. When I walked in and saw that sign right there, I just about fell down. What an awesome sign. God is doing something. He's up to some big time stuff. And why? Why? Because we can't really help ourselves that much. I mean, we just don't have the influence. We don't have, we're always looked over. Always made fun of. I was in Texas. I wasn't going to tell anything funny much, but I was in Texas uh, preaching and this guy said to me he said reverend abner do you all have wireless communication yet in eastern kentucky <laughs> and it just burnt me up and 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 i said well i said kinda i said actually we've got cell phones but you know we they're not wireless but we've all got big spools of cable <laughs> on the side of our car and i got about a mile's worth and and I said, it works real good till we get down in town and everybody gets all mixed up downtown. <laughs> and I just walked away from it. Well, let me tell you something. We've heard that we're ignorant and unlearned and all that so long that we believe that. And that is a lie from hell. Now, in the natural... Some of us may not be much, but I'm telling you with Jesus, that makes a whole lot of difference. Amen? Yeah. And that's what God is doing with us. He's changing us little by little. And, and just uh, it's just amazing what we're seeing him do. But he said you can't be a place of refuge unless you have a strong house of prayer. Now, I think this. I think houses of prayer can look different. I think they can be different ways. 
and all of that. But it's a place where intercession and worship is being made. Folks are hearing the voice of the Lord. And I believe, God, listen, I believe this, Jay, with every fiber of my being, that we're getting ready to enter into these places of refuge, that we're entering into a time when we're going to see a modern-day book of Acts unfold right in front of us. Where we're going to see the Spirit in operation, prophetic utterance, dreams, visions, gifts of the Spirit, healing, deliverance, and miracles. If you'll notice in the book of Acts, they prayed about everything, and they expected the miraculous. Sometimes we're praying about everything, but I don't know how much expecting we're doing anymore. And let me tell you this before I forget it. One of the key... I asked the Lord, I said, Jesus could just lay hands on somebody and zap, they got it. You know, or a whole lot of somebodies. What's the difference? And, I, and people say, well, he's Jesus and you're not. I understand that. But a lot of it's about compassion. It says Jesus moved with compassion. And can I just be really gut honest with you? Sometimes we want to see somebody get healed, but we want to look real good when it happens. So we need to come clean with the Lord. We just need to be. Listen, my goal, and I'm 70 years old. I know that shocks you. You think I was probably 50. I'm 70. I want to finish well. Do you realize down through time how many Pentecostal people don't finish well? And I don't know exactly why I think, I don't know if we let it, I don't know what the deal is, but I want to finish well. And here's another thing I want. I want to be able to speak into younger people's lives and they go so much deeper than me and so much further than I have. And see, we're not seeing that right now much. We're seeing a little bit of that. But the young guns, they think they know everything. And if you're in the room, that's kind of what you think. And us old guys, we don't want to have anything to do with the young guys because we see them making some mistakes. But my God, if we invested as older folks into their lives, and they didn't have to go through the mess that we've gone through. What if a young person didn't have to reinvent the wheel all the time? And we need to build a culture where we can work with the younger ones. And the, let me tell you about hanging out with the younger ones. They make you feel younger. And all of a sudden you've got a little more pizzazz, a little more zip in you than you had before because you're trying to run with somebody a lot quicker than you are. <laughs> That's what God wants. That's what he's expecting the body of Christ to be and to love each other. And you know, let, let me tell you something, Jay, and I, I promise I'm probably way too hard on people not bragging on them at all, okay? I, I, I generally don't do that at all. But when you came to Manchester, the thing I noticed about you, you didn't have to be, I mean, it was your meeting, basically. You didn't have to be the center of attention. And that was so, we talked about that for days. You didn't have to be that. You, you were sure who you were in Christ. You facilitated things. You handled things extremely well. But you didn't have to be in the front to be the center of attention. And, and see, we're, we're trying to do things. We've identified ourselves with being pastors or, or leaders. And, and really what we need to do is just identify ourselves with Jesus and whatever Jesus is wanting to do with us, just let him do it and then give him all the glory and honor for that. Amen? All right, now here's another thing. That don't, it's not point number two because it'll have to be another point of, that's different than the one. The Lord is raising up, he said to tell you this, the Lord is raising up men and women like the men of Issachar in the scripture. Folks who discern the times, and a lot of people can discern the times. I mean, you know, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to realize what's going on in our country. I mean, we can read and all that stuff and things in our communities. But the key to this thing is is to know what to do about it. And how do you do that? By worshiping and praying and hearing from God. We should never be caught by surprise about hardly anything. Because we ought to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and that's why we need each other. We shouldn't be caught by surprise because we should be hearing what the Spirit of God saying to His church. Here's another thing the Lord said to me this morning. 
He said, folks will be here this afternoon who heard a word from the Lord several years ago and it's been so long in the making that you've lost heart, you've given up. So I need to share with you one more story. In 1984, I owned the Christian bookstore in our town. I was a banker. I was a big shot in the small shot world in Manchester. And we were lending out about the Christian bookstore. And my CPA said, he'd tell me every year, either God or the devil's all over this business because you ain't never made a penny. But a lady walked in my store one morning. She'd been to Hazard, Kentucky, spent the night. She was from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And she said, do you own this business? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I've had an encounter out on the Daniel Boone Parkway, which was a toll booth, that I have to, I'm compelled to share with you. And I said, okay. She said, I was coming from Hazard, and I was 12 miles from Manchester, east of Manchester. She said, I put my 40 cents in the, in the toll booth. I pulled out from under there, and she said, I happened to look up, and there was a cloud much lower in the sky than any of the other clouds, and it looked like a dove, and it was pointed west. She said, I thought, boy, that is distinct. That's just amazing what that looks like. She drives 12 miles to the Manchester exit. She said she happened to look up then, and she said, uh, she said now, you don't know me. You don't know if I'm lying. She said, I'm just telling you what I've seen. She said, I looked up and said, that same cloud, shaped like a dove, is pointed straight now, right at the Manchester exit. She said, boy, that's really interesting. Lord, are you trying to say something? She goes another 12 or 14 miles towards London, Kentucky, the last toll booth. She puts her money in. She pulls out from under there, and here's what she said. She said, I looked up again, and she said, that same cloud is now pointed back towards Manchester. And she's pulled off to the side of the road. She said, I couldn't see for crying. And she said, Lord, I know you're trying to say something. And she said, the Lord told me to go back to Manchester and find the man in the Christian bookstore. He'll be there today. And tell him that I'm doing a work in his town that when it's completed, it'll be so big that no man will ever be able to take care of it. Or take, take credit for it. And that was uh, 20 years before God showed up. 20 years. So what I'm telling you, and let me, I tell people everywhere we go, now we're stubborn and bullheaded in the mountains. Amen? Big time. Way too much. I tell people it might only take them three or four years because the Lord had a lot to deal with when he was dealing with us. But there was time. Let me just say this. There's people that come to give you a word that's not, that's not from the Lord. They see that you're in trouble. They feel sorry for you and they're trying to comfort you. That's just the truth. There's some people give you a word and it's not even close to the Lord anyway at all. But every once in a while, man, God speaks in a way that you just can't ever get away from it. And I cannot tell you, as Manchester got worse and worse and worse, I'd lay in a bed at night and I would think about what that woman said to me. And we was months into this thing God was doing and it hit me. That woman, what she said to us. And it was so big that we couldn't, we couldn't take credit for it. I mean, we had to have been we're super prideful to take credit for it. But I knew that was a word from the Lord in 1984. 20 years later, God shows up in such a miraculous way. Now, I told that story to tell you this. Remember what I said the Lord said? It's been a long time and you've lost heart and you doubt whether God even spoke to you. And I don't know if there's one or five or ten of you, but I would like for you to just, I don't want you to come up here. I just want you to, if that's you, and see, we wouldn't say we're disappointed with the Lord, but that's what we are. We've kind of lost heart. So if that's you, would you just stand up? I'm just going to pray over you. There's some of you that's just had a, a, a you know, it's just God spoke to you. And it just ain't happened. And it's been a long time. And then the enemy says, "Why well, you didn't hear nothing from the Lord. And then sometimes we're just upset with you. So let me, let me just pray over you. Now, first of all, just Habakkuk chapter 2. Let me read this. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will stand on my guard post 
and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run, for the vision is yet to be appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. You hear me? It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. And the Lord said to tell you that it is coming, it's quicker than you think it is, and it is coming, and you pray it in, you begin to pray it in again like you did in the beginning. So, Lord, I pray that these folks that are standing up, first of all, if you've been disappointed with God, you probably need to repent over that. Just tell the Lord that you're sorry. And, Lord, I'm asking you now to come. I don't know what the block has been. Maybe it's not just not the time. Maybe it's something that's happened. But I pray, Father, that everyone that's heard a clear word from you and it's been a while and they've lost hope, Lord, that you would instill that desire again to see it happen, Lord, that you would bring hope to them, and, Lord, they would see it happen in, in a short time, in a short time, in a short time. Now, Lord, touch them. Begin to thank the Lord for that. Just, just thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for that in Jesus' name.